Hi there, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is the second half of Get the Funk Out. If you're not familiar with the show, you can visit the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. That was The Shelters with Bird Watching. I love this CD. This is uh, a CD I discovered by listening to another DJ here at the station. So we have lots of great shows. Uh, I just want to mention, if you're not familiar, go to www.kuci.org. Okay, so standing by is Soren Sorensen to talk about his documentary about Omar Sosa. Good morning, Soren. Hey, how's it going? Great. So I checked out this uh, film that you have going on. I want you to tell me more about it and uh, how it became an interest. (coughs) Well, um, in 2011 or or so, I was uh, writing for uh, an arts and culture magazine called Tribe, um, and it was sort of short-lived. It was a really wonderful publication uh, here in Providence, Rhode Island, where I'm based. Uh, and it was free, but um, the, the publisher, his name is Tony Aguilar uh, of New Flavor Media, mm-hmm. um, had this aim of kind of creating a, um, a free uh, magazine, um, you know, inside of which would be this high-quality kind of multicultural writing uh, about all different, you know, kinds of arts and culture and politics and all kinds of different things. So one of the assignments that he gave me was to, uh, you know, write about this artist, Omar Sosa, who I had never heard of. I, I love jazz and I love Latin jazz and stuff, but I had, I had actually never heard of him. Okay. Um, I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston, which is near oh. your old stomping grounds. Yeah. Mistaken, right? I didn't know so, that. So I'm well aware of, of jazz fusion and, and, um, and this kind of music, but I, I hadn't heard of him. So, um, and I guess he, he would be, he'd be called, some, Omar Sosa would be called something like world music, which I consider to be sort of a weird, uh, you know, <laughs> musical genre uh but i i got um i got i was lucky enough to get in touch with his manager scott price um i just picked up the phone and called and, and was able to get in touch with omar's manager um and you know a couple of days later i was I, I had a skype um interview with him and i honestly just like i say in the kickstarter video i was captivated i, I yes there were so many things about his story that i found to be so interesting um <coughs> excuse me um not the least of which that growing up in cuba I think that we have this idea uh, as it may be uninformed people about what it, you know what it's like for somebody in Cuba you know who, who's a who's a more modern guy he was born in 1965 mm-hmm. um, you know he wasn't allowed to listen to jazz was essentially you know the music of the capitalists uh, mm-hmm. and he tells a story to me uh, through through the um, the interview footage actually we just released some interview footage which is really wonderful he tells a story about um, them they were able to catch one radio station in Miami uh, that played, you know, Chicago and the Commodores and you know, Weather Report and stuff like that in the 70s. And um, and he, they would all put their the mattresses together because they weren't supposed to be they weren't supposed to be listening to this. And they would, so their heads were all kind of all at the same place in the room and all huddled around this radio to hear this awesome sort of American jazz fusion and soft rock and whatever wow. else you want to call it yes. um, that influenced him. But he was learning classical music. He was being taught by Soviet Russian, you know, composers mm-hmm. to learn classical. Music and really to to bust out of that tradition and have all of these influences is really fascinating to me. That is, and I uh, put all your info on my show blog get the funk out show dot org. Um, I want to back up a second. You went to Berkeley. Mm. Uh, what did you? F- what was your focus? Well, so Berkeley. When I went there, I, I, got, I entered there in nineteen ninety four and. Um, the fall of 1994, and, and back then uh, there wasn't an audition. So I, I had a group of friends there uh, that, that sort of said, you should apply and, and, and try to go. And, and I, I didn't think I was a guitar principal, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't think I was good enough to go, and, and I, didn't, 
I didn't really think that I, I, I could hack it and all that stuff. So I ended up going. And the odd thing is, my, my real, my strong sort of group of friends. There were six of us that all kind of played together and stuff. I was the only one that ended up graduating, which is sort of That's um, funny. Sort of funny. And yeah. then then there's the Berkeley curse, which is that if you graduate, you'll never become a famous musician. So right. I, I've heard that. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine. I'm resigned to that fact. I'm a filmmaker now. So. I, w- <laughs> I would have bumped into you because I was still taking guitar lessons with uh, my teacher Jim, who went to Berkeley. What was Jim's last name? Logan. Jim Logan. I don't think I knew him. Okay. I, I had, uh, I can't remember. I remember Rick Peckham. Um, I remember Mike Guide. I remember a few of the, the uh, guys in the department there. But um, it was it was a wonderful experience for me. I, I needed it. Amazing and, um, school. So yeah. the reason I ask that is because um, very you have a very strong love of music, and you gravitated towards this project. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I if I hadn't had the training that I had at Berkeley, I don't I wouldn't have been interested in the first place probably. But, right. but secondly, I probably wouldn't have at least been conversant in some of the stuff that he talks about. Um, but I, I think that Cuban, uh, you know, I I, I, I use this um, this reference sometimes when I'm talking about filmmaking to my students. I, I teach at Clark University right now, and um, and in Worcester, and and you know, I use this for my students sometimes. I, I listen to the podcast uh, WTF every once in a while, Mark Maron's podcast, uh-huh. and Anthony. Bourdain was on once, and he said, if I had the rest of my life to, to just study Chinese cooking, Chinese food, I wouldn't even begin to scrape the surface, and that's the way Cuba is, um, and that's the way Cuban music is, and to just get a little of this information, not only from Omar, but also from you know experts and authors and writers mm-hmm. and critics and, and other musicians, um, is euphoric to me. I, it's a real privilege to be able to be around that and, and learn a little bit about Cuba's influence on, on our culture. I love your projects. You were on before, and you, you were, were talking about my father's Vietnam, but it seems like, you know, you stumble into these things that just, you know, are creative energies for you. They just, you, you don't know where life's going to lead you, and it opens up doors for you. Yeah, it's good. I mean, one of my, it's hard to, it's like for anybody, it's hard to balance part-time jobs, you know, so I'm a, I'm a freelancer as a filmmaker, but I also I also teach filmmaking as an adjunct, mm-hmm. and right now I'm a visiting lecturer at, at Clark University, but I, one of the most selfish things about it is that it allows me to sort of be a tourist a little bit. It's like traveling without traveling. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm in, the, in the, my father's Vietnam, I mean, though I did travel around the United States for that film, um, it was it was really just getting a, a glimpse of, uh, you know, a veteran's life and, and what life was like for those you know those people uh, Vietnam vets and and what it is like now and the, the transition between you know going to war and coming back and all that stuff which to me again I use that word euphoric it's it kind of uh, demystifies and and puts some order to the chaos in some of these stories that that we only hear I think really shallow and kind of superficial versions of so tell me more about this documentary mm. yeah well I, you know it, similarly to my father's Vietnam though this my father's Vietnam took me almost 10 years, you know, start to finish. But um, similarly to this, I, I sort of worked at a, at a slow pace. And, and whenever, you know, I had the time or the money or, or, or indeed if Omar was in town, you mm-hmm. know, if he was in New York or Hudson or um, uh, Boston or something like that, I would, I would just reach out. And, and he, he was really generous with his time. And so was Scott. And, and so we shot um, performances of his at um, uh, Club Helsinki in Hudson, New York, at the Blue Note in New York City, um, at Regatta Bar in Boston, Ma- in oh, Cambridge, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah, and, I know that uh, is. Yeah, exactly, and um, and so yeah, and, and and also the South Orange Performing Arts Center in New Jersey, and the cool thing about all this is that they're they're, they're all different band configurations too. So um, I shot them with a quartet uh, in New York City and in Hudson, and then but I, I shot them in duo with um, a celebrated Italian trumpeter named Paolo Frazzo, who who also sat for an interview. Just a wonderful guy and a wonderful player, um, and, you know. And, and these two put on a show, just the two of them, that you just I mean, you go there and you think, oh, it's a duo, it's going to be kind of low key or whatever. You just you don't even know where the 
is going to go, and it's just fabulous. Um, and, you know, packed crowd, packed house at South Orange Performing Arts Center, big crowd. Um, and, of course, in, in Regatta Bar, um, in Cambridge it was with a sextet. They barely fit into the you know, area of the, I, I would say stage, but I don't think there is a stage. It's, you know, right. They barely fit into the area where they were, they were playing. There were six of them, and um, they were actually playing selections from one of Omar's records called Egun, which is, um, it was commissioned by the Barcelona Jazz Festival and uh, Joan Carash, who, who actually appears in the film. Uh, this is a, f- a piece, Egun, which um, is based on Ma- Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, but without being a covers album. He doesn't, he doesn't cover the record or anything like that. He, 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 was ins- he let himself be inspired by it and, and take his, uh, his inspiration from that source material. And, um, you know, just through talking to Omar and just through watching this movie whenever it comes out, <laughs> six months or so, uh, yeah. you know, he, he, he's very um, respectful of his elders and of his ancestors. And, and to be able to do something uh, like that, I think, about Kind of Blue is a real thrill for him. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, what was his take on being featured in a documentary? You know, it's funny, he, um, he, not unlike my father, you know, mm-hmm. and even though I barely, I mean, I, compared to my father, I barely know Omar, um, but he, um, he was, again, just very generous, and I think, I think similarly, he doesn't, he gets interviewed a lot, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of people, um, you know, shoot him because he's, he's, a, he's a showman, I mean, he's a, he's a, this charismatic performer, but he's also a guy um, that I think is, has a magnetic kind of, you, you want to spend time with him, you know. Yes. You, you, I think I think we sort of think about that in terms of certain actors and certain musicians and certain artists in general. Um, he's just a great person to be around. He's he's very generous and he's very patient. Um, and he, you know, for somebody with such a busy schedule. But I think he doesn't know what, you know what this is going to look like, and he's got a, so many projects going on right now. I think he, his next concert is with. Um, uh, the Creole Spirits. He's got a new band going on with that, which I barely even know about him. He moves faster than I move by by, by light speed. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I can't keep up with him. Right. But yeah, but but for him to, for somebody like that, like a comet, kind of just going around the yes. world all the time, for me to be able to spend this much time with it's, him was, was a real thrill. Tell me about how you named this '88 Well Tuned Drums. Well, <laughs> that's great. We were just actually talking about that a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Um, so when this Kickstarter launched, um, which we only have three days left in, unfortunately, um, okay. and where we still have a long way to go. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here on, on some on some levels fundraising. But right. but the uh, um, there's a, a journalist named Eugene Holly, and uh, Eugene wrote an article about uh, Omar and the Village Voice. Uh, God, it must have been ten years ago now. I can't remember what year it was. 2004 or something like that, and um, and he he refers to uh, Omar Sosa playing the piano like 88 well-tuned drums oh. um, because basically Omar um, you know this kind of has a has a very specific uh, r- you know reason for it and a, and a kind of a more macro re- reason for it uh, macro you, you when you think of Cuba you think of rhythm you think of clave um, sure. and you think of dancing um, and Omar also was a marimba player before he was a pianist so he actually was a percussionist before he. He picked up the piano as a very young person. Um, so when he went to conservatory originally, he was studying percussion. So he, he is known for this rhythmic style. So whether you, you know this or not, um, and you, you, you hear him, you might come away with the notion that, yeah, he's playing this, this like a percussion instrument, which it is. I mean, it's a string instrument and a percussion instrument, the piano. And I, um, I, excuse me, I noticed you, I have up on my blog, that he released nearly 30 albums and received four Grammy nominations and three Latin Grammy nominations. Wow. Yeah, he, he's, he's one of those, I mean, like a lot of jazz artists of his age group, again, he's, he's a little over 50 years old now, mm-hmm. um, he, he's somebody that is, is, 
though he's famous all around the world, he, he's relatively obscure. I mean, I, I, I liken it to, <laughs> this is probably a terrible comparison, but um, I liken it to when I was younger and I really liked uh, British pop music or rock music. I liked Blur and Oasis and mm-hmm. bands like that. Nobody knew who they were in the, in right. the United States. They were playing these tiny, cl- even like somebody like Robbie Williams was playing the Avalon yes. on Lansdowne Street in Boston. Um, and he was playing, he was playing arenas and stadiums in, in England. So I think, I think Omar's, um, he's got these, this sort of, um, following worldwide. But when yes. I say worldwide, I'm not talking about Europe and the United States. I'm talking about Japan. I'm talking about Morocco. Um, I'm talking about literally worldwide. He plays everywhere but Antarctica. I mean, he, he's, oh my he's all over the place. He plays 80 concerts on six continents every year. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't know. I don't really know how he keeps it up. I mean, it's, 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 and to, to not only do that, but to be composing and recording. Um, I think in, in the trailer, um, one of, one of the uh, interview subjects, I think it's Ned Sublet, says something like, he has the energy to actually document his work. I mean, he, for, him to, for him to actually just play the gigs is one thing. He could be playing jazz standards all over the world or playing Tumbao or playing you know, cha-cha-cha or something. Yes. He, he, he's actually writing this stuff and, and digging deep into his own catalog and also constantly um, you know, making new stuff. And by the way, a lot of those records, several of those records, are piano improvisation. So they, they turn the tape on and he just improvises for two hours and they cut it down and put a record out. That is unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's pretty unbelievable. Pretty interesting guy. So what would you like people to know about your Kickstarter? Well, um, I, I, I think that the, the main thing is that sort of every little bit helps. Um, the one thing is I'm, I'm very new to Kickstarter, and I, I've been talking to people who have had some successful um, campaigns and stuff, and um, we're only about four, 45% funded or something like that right mm-hmm. now. We've only got three days to go, but most people tell me that everybody procrastinates so much that you make 30 or 40% in the last day. So oh. um, I'm kind of all over social media right now, and I feel, I feel bad because my friends and family are getting really sick of me at this point. <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to go away for a long time into an edit suite and kind of take a break from social media after all this. But I really appreciate being on because, I, I, you know, some of the rewards are phenomenal, and we ship worldwide for free, um, and you get to support the film, but you also you, know, you, get, you get your name in the credits, you get a download of the film, you get a signed poster from a Grammy-nominated record, um, you get signed CDs, and this stuff is, ends up being pretty dirt cheap, plus you get to support the film right. um, and, and be a funder. So it's, it's, it's kind of a cool project, and it's, um, you know, I, I hope people will, uh, will visit the Kickstarter our page and learn more about it. Now, if I did put everything up in my blog, but where can they find out about this exactly? Well, there's, um, there's a, a really kind of simple website that I just put up called omarsosafilm.com. Um, and, and that has all the information, the Kickstarter front and center, obviously. Um, much easier, you can just go to Facebook and type in Omar Sosa Film. Mm-hmm. So facebook.com slash Omar Sosa Film, and you'll see all these updates and, and different information. Um, also, uh, omarsosa.com is, is Omar's website, but he's, he's also pretty active on Facebook, you know, his management and stuff like that. So if you, if you look him up, he's got a, a, a musician band page. I think it's just called Omar Sosa Musician Band Page or something like that. Um, there's t- at Twitter, we're at Omar Sosa Film, and he's at Omar Sosa some music. Yes. Um, so we're all over the place and you can you can find it pretty easily. How has this whole experience changed you as a musician and a producer? Well, you know, I that's a good question. I mean, it's because it's still in um you know, in progress, right. um, I, I, I can't answer that as specifically as I could in a couple of months, and maybe I'll come back on in six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, I think for sure it's, I've learned um, 
an unbelievable amount about how influential um, Cuban music is to, you know, whether it's, we're talking about rock and roll or talking about jazz or whatever. Um, you know, these, these are, it's, it's almost hard to describe. And, and some, of the, some of the people, Ned Sublet among them one of the, is an author, um, talks about the, the influence of Cuban music and the way that Omar fits into it. Um, but I think also uh, that there's a world of jazz um, going on still, and I think we associate jazz, and rightly so, with 40s and 50s and 60s and stuff. Um, and then we kind of feel like, well, all the innovating has already been done, uh, and w you know, w what can you do on the saxophone that John Coltrane didn't do or something? And I, I, I tend to, I think, I think I kind of have that opinion myself. But yeah. you, you, when you learn about an artist, for instance, when I'm talking about Omar Sosa, who, who, t who uses samplers to evoke, um, who uses electronic music and samplers to evoke the ancient. Um, which I, you know, in the in the words certainly of, of one of my interview subjects, I, I didn't you know come up with this. You know, I think that's that's an that's an astounding contribution when when you hear electronic music, when you hear EDM. Um, if you think about samplers and ambient music, you don't often think about the ancient. And what Omar is often trying to do in his in his practice as a um, as a as a as a religious man, as a spiritual man, but also in music, um, is you know he's trying to evoke his elders. He's trying to pass a message from um, from ancestors and from a tradition that that he he believes he exists on a, on a on a continuum of and it's it's one of those things as as a person that's not religious for me to hear that and actually understand what he's talking about i think is is the sign of a really gifted communicator and somebody that everybody should be listening to that is incredibly powerful when you stop and think about that it, it's it's unbelievable and, and as i mentioned when i said that he's a he's a magnetic character a magnetic guy i mean mm -hmm. I'm sitting across from him again as a, as a as an agnostic or an atheist on a good day. I mean, I, I, and this is um, I, I'm able to hear him explain what he's talking about to me in ter in in terms of music, and and for me to grasp something like that, not only grasp it but believe it. Um, I think as a, as a skeptic, as a self you know, as a self described atheist and skeptic kind of thing, um, you know, and for me to understand where this person is coming from uh, when I when my background could not be more different than his. Um, it's really, really pretty unbelievable. Incredible. Throw your website out one more time before we wrap. Yeah, it's omarsosafilm.com, and you can find us on facebook.com slash omarsosafilm. And what about you, Soren? Where can people find you? Soren-Sorensen.com, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.com. All right, great. And check back. Let me know how things go. I will, Janine. Thank All you right. so much for having me. Thanks for calling in. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. That was Soren Sorensen calling in to talk about his latest documentary, Omar Sosa's 88 Well-Tuned Drums. If you missed any part of this, it will be up on my show blog uh, within an hour after I wrap. And uh, everything will be up on there. Again, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to take a little break. And then top of the hour, Sheldon Abbott is standing by with Cure for the Blues.